acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Let me adjust this really quickly. I don't want to drop it. My battery died in my microphone. In the summer of the year 325, the Council of Nicaea was held by the church in calling all Christian leaders from all the known world to a meeting. And those leaders of churches who were too poor to fund their bishop's passage or simply too far away to travel safely to Nicaea, after this, they were essentially discarded declared no longer part of the church Catholic, and their churches were never included again. 700 years later, in the year 1054, the Eastern Church, which was a church that spoke Greek, and the Western Church, which was mostly a church that spoke Latin, sealed a centuries-long divide over whether the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son or just the Father. These churches, over this, severed their bitter relationship. This was called the Great Schism. Okay, 500 years later, fast forward. In 1521, Martin Luther gets excommunicated by Pope Leo X over his assertion that, the, that our faith and the love, in God, uh, the love of God in Christ alone saves a person's relationship with God and not the works of the church. This begins what is later known as the Protestant Reformation and division and discord results. And then we have the 20th century. World Wars, First World War, Second World War. At the end of the Second World War, a new version of Christianity starts popping up. Television emerges and televangelists rise in prominence. And well-regarded mid-century theologian Karl Barth observed these trends when he witnessed firsthand the effect of one of these new celebrity preachers had on the masses. I was quite horrified, he responds. At times he acted like a madman and what he presented was certainly not the gospel, it was the gospel at gunpoint. He wanted to terrify people. Threats, they always make an impression. People would much rather be terrified than be pleased. The more one heats up hell for them, the more they come running. Fear, terror, and extremism have resulted from this. The more one heats up hell for them, the more they come running. So much for believing in and proclaiming a God of pure and unending everlasting love. There's something so true about the subconscious behaviors we carry around when it comes to how we interact with God. Even if we really do believe and proclaim that God is love, something in our minds wants to tell us otherwise. Something about us still wants us to, 
to distance ourselves from God or instead to kind of take some kind of very strong stand and fight for our position and divide other people and, and, and we want someone to win and someone to lose. Something about us does not really want God's mercy to apply to everyone nor God's reconciliation to fully be ours in our hearts. And the church is an institution, well, the church hasn't done very good. This, the church has not had a stellar record of this. So much division, so much inner struggle. No wonder why our own individual patterns of thought stay like this. And sometimes we, we feel that we're forced to make up our own rules because we think God is a punishing God, and so we don't want much to do with God at all. But the reality couldn't be further from the truth, that God actually has this beautiful, loving dream for us, a dream to restore us, to heal us, not a dream just for you or for me, but literally for everyone. And we have this habit to see God as adversary, as some angry old guy up in the clouds wanting to hit us over the head if we make a bad decision. And we're not trusting God to give us our greatest good. So what do we do instead? We play games with God. Anybody on social media, I'm sure many of you are, I challenge you this week to see how many postings in your feed have something mentioned that ultimately, whatever's mentioned, it's predicated on the fact that we do not trust God. That if you don't do something, demise will fall upon you. That if you don't repost something, blessings will be withheld. If you do not react in some certain way, somehow God isn't going to love you as much as God does right now. This is conventional wisdom. This is how a lot of people think about the gospel, or dare I say the gospel at gunpoint. This is how so many of our friends and neighbors, and even all of us at one point, think about God. And it's absolutely and totally wrong. So no wonder why the church divides and splits and the weaponized gospel of Jesus Christ continues to hurt people. It's no wonder why our society cannot honestly deal with guns, with immigration, with the opioid crisis, with the naked greed of some of our leaders and why many of us often feel completely and totally powerless. Our perspective of God is a bit like that view that the Gerasen demoniac has of God. A perspective that we need to fear. One that we, we want to remain separate from. One that keeps our hearts living in tombs, sad and lonely and practically dead. Let's look into this gospel today. Jesus branches out of his comfort zone. He heads out of his homeland. He goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee to a people that he himself is afraid of. 
they're foreigners to him. And when he gets off the boat to make matters worse, he is met immediately by a man who isn't clothed, who's out of his mind, and who is not only feared, but is suffering alone and by himself in utter misery. His question to Jesus, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. Once again, we see that. God is to be feared instead of to be seen as pure and complete love. Fear, not love. But Jesus continues. Jesus does everything he possibly can in his power to heal this man and to give him his life back. Jesus doesn't just restore his mind to some type of mental clarity, but he restores this guy back to his people, back to his society, back to his family. The man then naturally wants to follow Jesus and wants to go back to Galilee with Jesus, and Jesus won't let him. Return to your home, he says, and declare how much God has done for you. That's it. That's all Jesus asks. Look at this closely. All Jesus asks is for someone to remind others that God is not to be feared, but rather that God is a God of life, restoring love and blessing. Jesus didn't tell him to go save others for the sake of the gospel. Jesus didn't tell him to threaten people with damnation. Nope. He told the man to tell others how much a loving, generous, and living God, how much this God had done for him. So simple, so clear. In essence, you have been blessed, so tell others about your blessing. Is there more? Sure. But this is where our work begins for us this week. We have to undo any part of our personal theology where we believe consciously or subconsciously that God doesn't desire our greatest good. Those thoughts and ideas need to go. We all have them inside of us, and they're not pretty. Sometimes those thoughts tell us, you have no value. Other times they may tell us, you don't belong. And other times, it's all about fear. Those thoughts give us fear, and they, they make us so afraid to make decisions about our lives that would help us, but we don't do it. But because we believe somehow that that fear that we feel is directly from God, and it is most certainly not. These thoughts, these things in our head, these preconceived notions that we've somehow been conditioned about, they all got to go. And then we step out of those, and we have to look around. We have to look around our neighborhoods, and we have to see the garrisons that live among us. Jesus didn't know them before the story. Jesus was afraid of them. And we might not know them either And when we begin interacting with them, but we do have garrisons, people around us who suffer greatly. We have these people, and Jesus begs us to see. And in seeing, we're called to help, to restore people's dignity and help them engage with our society. 
and we're called to connect them, to connect them into a life of blessing, a life of restoration, a life of abundance. We're called to act and to be like Jesus and not only pray, but do and be creative. To be creative, to protect people from danger and take away their fear and offer a love that does not have conditions but rather a love that heals every single thing that ails a person. And finally, we go further. And we begin asking Jesus every single day, what have you to do with me, Jesus of Nazareth, son of the most high God? What have you to do with me, Jesus of Nazareth, son of the most high God? And we stop and listen every day. And we listen for a response, for an answer, because we will probably get one very quickly, and we will most definitely receive a blessing. It may surprise us, it may shake us up a bit, but we'll get some kind of blessing out of asking, and I dare say we will get an answer as well. But our call is to persist with that question, because when we do, we will get the courage to be the repairers of the discord because we'll also get the ability to be repairers of not only the discord but of the bitterness, the, the repairers of the fear that divides our world. We will gain strength to go after the things in our society that block us from doing good, the things that keep us from truly promoting peace, goodwill, equality, and full incorporation and participation of all people in society. We will break the bad behaviors of our ecclesiological, societal, and personal past. We won't be afraid anymore to ask God for anything, and we'll start seeing God blessing us every day. We'll start seeing God using our hands to heal the world, our hearts to love more than we can ever imagine loving, and we'll start witnessing miracles literally right before our very eyes, and we'll, we will most certainly be called to tell everyone we interact with how much we have been truly loved and blessed by a living abundant, active, and loving God. But we have to persist in this ask. We need to position our hearts where we're constantly inviting the full presence of God Almighty, not the presence of fear, but the full presence of God in. We have to follow and ask the same question we've heard in this reading. We have to ask, what have you to do with me, Jesus of Nazareth, son of the Most High God? What have you to do with me, Jesus of Nazareth, son of the Most High God? Okay, this is a surprise, and I know this isn't very Episcopalian, but come on, say it with me now. What have you to do with me, Jesus of Nazareth, son of the Most High God? We know the answer to this absolutely everything. Be part of God's dream and claim God's dream for you. 
ask, be blessed, and then tell. <laughs> 